All right, here we are. Let me uh, move this off to the, the side here. Gary and Greg for working on those things, get those things uh, set up here. Um, I want to want to be in the Book of Ephesians, chapter two, um, this morning, and continue on with the Apostles' doctrine, and the doctrine here of the of the Church of Jesus Christ. If you look at our planet from space, astronauts and satellites tell a story of expansions and changes. There's a story of human progress told from a different perspective than you'd be able to see a hundred years ago. And the greatest change can be seen at night. Because if you look at the globe at night, you see vast cities sprawling out in a web of lights. Astronaut Don Pettit explained in a Smithsonian documentary, from the first time I flew to the last time, the main effect I saw on Earth was at nighttime, and it was the extent of lighting. And astronauts love taking pictures of, of cities at night from outer space, but there's one city that stands out, and it was the extent of lighting. Uh, not because of its size, its shape, its color, but its brightness. And Pettit says, I like to refer to Las Vegas, tongue-in-cheek, as the beacon of humanity. I don't know if it's the brightest city on earth, but it's really, really bright. If you think about Las Vegas, this city created in the desert, engineered water uh, to, to get to it, um, the electricity, etc. Billions of LED lights, countless billboards and marquees. Vegas generates more light per square mile than any other city on the planet. And at the southern end of the Las Vegas Strip, there's a beam of light that's projected up into the night sky from the Luxar a Resort uh, Pyramid. Curved mirrors are positioned to collect light from 39 xenon lamps, creating this single, intense, narrow beam. And that one light produces 42 billion candle watts of power. The beam is visible by planes flying over L.A., 275 miles away. You can't miss it. It's a beacon from the heart of the Mojave Desert. And that's the world's light, right? And it's sad uh, but true that the identifying marks of our modern culture are often seen even by astronauts and their cravings for an excess is packaged in this bright artificial light. But in contrast, God has put an eternal flame, a light that is to outshine the brightest lights in Las Vegas to be the true light in a very dark world, and it is the church of Jesus Christ. There's two things that are crucial for human beings. There's others, but these are two of them, and one of them is a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. The world tries to fill these things with clubs, groups, gangs, fraternities, hangouts, causes, marches, many good things even, connected to whatever your affinity is, you name it. But no matter what, it, it fizzles out. There's no greater sense of belonging, it would seem, in just a human natural level than being part of a family. No greater sense of purpose comes 
than being part of God's eternal purpose. And God formed a family of families of a place of belonging, and He gave it a purpose that is stretched out into eternity, an eternal purpose. But to realize and to fully activate an eternal belonging and and an and eternal purpose, we have to, with blood, sweat, and tears, push into God's design and faith for the church and shed the things that have seeped into the church that were foreign to Christ's design. A me-first individualism that our culture tries to push upon us. Organizing things like a business. Rather, in order for the church to fulfill God's eternal purpose to enlarge His family and provide belonging, Jesus designed it to be a family of families with strong intergenerational discipling roots that show themselves in powerful marriages, immersing children in the ways of the Lord as they're raised, engaging and discipling intergenerationally to continue in the faith of the apostles as each generation raises their family to serve God and love their neighbors, and reaching out to those who are lost. And the first thing we're going to look at here about the church of Jesus Christ that we're going to establish from the scripture about this amazing organism that Jesus calls his church, literally his assembly, the church, is their sense of eternal purpose from Ephesians 2, 18 through 3, 11. You remember earlier here uh, how we saw the elements of the Apostles' Gospel and Peter's sermon to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and the act of baptism showing that a disciple belongs to Christ and his church. And we're going to look at these principles now of Christ and renew our minds in these truths and see that Jesus' family expressed in local churches is an essential thing. It's not something to be taken lightly at all. And Jesus' plan to achieve His eternal purposes and have one day people from every culture gathered around Him in glory and worship in the new creation, His plan to achieve those purposes is His church. Nothing else. And so as I read these verses from Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to notice Paul's news that he had to reveal to the Gentiles the building blocks of this news and how it fulfills God's purposes. And so let's go to Ephesians 2. And we're going to jump down to verse 18. The previous verses tell us what was wrong, what was missing beforehand. And then verses 18 through chapter 3, verse 11, show us what God has done to fix that. So Ephesians chapter 2, my Bible keeps blowing pages here, so... I'm going to read these verses here as I can get to them. Here we go. For through Him, we both, Jew and Gentile, all nations, have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows to a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. For this cause, this purpose, this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given towards you, how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery 
as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here's the mystery. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hidden in God who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now to the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for these truths here in Your Word. It lays out Your purpose for the church. It lays out the sense of belonging, and it lays out the sense of, 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 of real meaning uh, for our lives. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us this morning to understand that because of Jesus, we belong forever to the church and to Him. And because of Jesus, we engage in the eternal goal of the church of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. So first of all, in chapter 2, verse 18, and chapter 3, verse 6, you see very clearly, because of Jesus, we belong forever to Him, but we're also part of a family. We belong forever to the church. You will always be part of the church of Jesus Christ as a believer. Now you'll notice in the previous verses, there were things that were lacking. You'll notice a common word, without, 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 in the previous verses, 11 through it, uh, uh, 17. There's something that was lacking before, a lack of belonging here. New York Times columnist uh, David Brooks in February 2018, he went around the country interviewing students at some of the most prestigious uh, campuses in America. And he, he admits that the students he met re represent only a, a, a tiny slice of, of the rising generation, but their comments were striking. And he ended his article with uh, uh, interviewing these students with these words. I came away from these conversations thinking that one big challenge for this generation is determining how to take good things that are happening on the local level and translate them to the national level where their problems are. I was also struck by a pervasive but subtle hunger for a change in the emotional tenor of life. We're more connected, but we're more apart, one student lamented. Again and again, students expressed a hunger for social and emotional bonding, for a shift from guilt and accusation toward empathy. How do you create relationship, one student asks. That may be the longing that undergirds all others. I want you to see from the scriptures how Jesus addresses that with what true belonging is. Notice he uses a phrase, fellow citizens, fellow citizens. Listen, there is no one more equal than you are that belong to Jesus' church. Anybody who has sought forgiveness in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, 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 and they, have, they, have, they have committed their lives to Jesus, that we're, we're, we are on equal access to Jesus, we're on the same standing, whether you have been recently saved or whether you've been saved for decades here. Notice in verse 18 that word, both, both. There's a joining here. 
fellow citizens in verse 19, saints, members of the same household in verse 19, connected by Jesus. In Jesus' household, there's no separate rooms and walls. It's a whole building fitted together that grows together. And there's a reason why we need each other, why we need to grow together, because we, 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 we actually need each other to help us grow. We do very poorly growing on our own. Very poorly. Maybe some of you um, remember the marshmallow test. It was a classic research project that tests uh, our, our, our self-control and delayed gratification, and here's how it worked. <clears throat> a researcher would give a child a marshmallow and tell them they could eat the marshmallow or they could wait until the researcher would return several minutes later, at which time they would get a second marshmallow. You can see all kinds of videos on this on YouTube. It's kind of funny. And um, sometimes they're waiting, sometimes they're playing with, and sometimes they're eating the first marshmallow. They're forgoing their chance of a second marshmallow. It's just too much of a temptation with that marshmallow in front of them to say no to. Well, in January 2020 of this year, uh, a fad started going across the Internet with moms, mean moms, doing this to their kids with cookies. And maybe some of you saw some of these videos here. Kids were paired up, they played a game together, and then they were sent to a room and given a cookie with a promise of another if they could wait for it by not eating the first cookie. However, some of those kids were put in what researchers called an interdependent situation where they were told they would only get the second cookie if both they and their play pal could wait and refrain from eating. And the results showed this. That the kids who were depending on each other waited for the second cookie significantly more often. Researcher Rebecca Kuhlman says this. In this study, children may have been motivated to delay gratification because they felt they shouldn't let their partner down. And if they did, their partner would have the right to hold them accountable. Now, those are, those are inferior motivations, right? Uh, uh, there's, there's a higher motivation for us as believers, the glory of God and the joy in God here. But you understand a principle here of why we need each other. It helps us keep accountable here. We are better together than we are in isolation, and God has done that for us by the church of Jesus Christ. Notice also in verse 22 that idea, that word, built together. Built together. So we're all together a work in progress. There's not one person among us, including the one standing up here, and more, uh, 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 more than anybody, the one standing up here, who has it put together. We need one another to speak into our sin, to speak into our blind spots, to speak into the ways that we need to grow and learn Christ. And when somebody does that, and by the way, you need to do that in a right way, a right manner, um, but when somebody does that, when you, when you and I rear back at that and respond uh, in, a, in a fleshly way, we're showing that, yes, there really is a problem there. So we need to make sure that we are, we are keeping each other accountable for this race that we're to run. We're fellow heirs. We have the same inheritance. Uh, we're, we have the same standing, the same welcoming as the guy who showed up to work even just today. Jesus gives a parable about this. There's a farmer who hired laborers, and he said, if you guys work, this is the wage that you're going to get. And they showed up, and they worked. Later on in the day, some other workers showed up, and he said the same thing. This is the wage I'm giving for working. And those who were there earlier in the day, what did they do? 
They had a little fit about that, didn't they? What? Those guys came later and they're getting the same wage? So it is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not one of us that has a more privileged status than another. We have, we have a wonderful status with Jesus Christ, whether you are uh, 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 newly saved or whether you have been saved for decades here. We are, we are the same body. We're built together. We need to help each other grow. And I can learn things, and I have been discipled by people. I, by disciple, I mean learning Christ in a greater, greater way by people who are newer to, newer to the faith and sometimes people who have been saved for years and grown stagnant, right? All of us probably have. We can grow um, through 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 anybody. He uses that word same body. He says they're partakers. And here's what I want you to understand. In the earlier parts of the book of Ephesians, he describes, especially Ephesians chapter 1, how the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, work together to accomplish our salvation and form this church. And if they do that, that is the model for us as, as believers in Jesus Christ. So we can work together to accomplish Jesus' purposes. If you're in Jesus, you belong. You belong. Because of Jesus, we belong forever to Him and to the church. And the way we show we belong to a local expression of Jesus, like our local church here today, because I don't want to speak of just generalities here, is through church church membership. Is an application of that. If you have been saved and you've been baptized, then you unite in a partnership of a local expression, a church to belong to and receive and give accountability to learn and obey Christ together. The way we, uh, our, our format is for this uh, is you share your testimony of what the gospel is and how you received it. And we get to know you, myself and the deacons, and we present you before the body uh, on our recommendation to welcome you in, into membership. It's, why do we do that? Because you belong to Jesus Christ. And you need to partner in that great task. And then you'll also notice um, there in the verses um, after chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul starts to talk about his purpose, eternal purpose, and why this is important, what God has, has done for us, why it's important. And so he, he, he wants us to understand that because of Jesus, we engage in the eternal goal of the church. Because of Jesus, we're in a place where we, we belong to a people and belong to him. But also because of Jesus, we engage in the eternal goal of the church. You'll notice in the first verses of chapter 3, how Paul talks about how he is laboring for this. And he's amazed that God's given him opportunity to participate in this. And he's even engaged in suffering for this. And he's poured out his life for this because he understood how big and eternal it was. And in chapter 3 and verse 8, he sums it all up as this. He is proclaiming the wealth of Christ. To the Gentiles. That's his task. He's using inheritance language. Helping them understand that when uh, what Christ offers is his inheritance to those who will come to him. He proclaims the wealth of Christ, the riches of Christ, using inheritance languages. And to bring to light what was once dark and obscure, dim, God's eternal plan of the church. That was Paul's task. His heart beat for that every single moment. You might wonder, well, what, what do you mean by that? Bring to light something that was dim and dark, a mystery. I want you to understand it uh, like this. Here's, a, here's an illustration. Maybe you have one of those books that are picture books that sit on your coffee table that have pictures of, of, of incredible scenery and creation or nature. A gift book. 
professional photos, perhaps, of nature or, or tourist destinations. There's one called America's Spectacular National Parks. And if you open up that book to a photo of the Grand Teton Mountains in Montana, it's an extra-wide photo that not only fills uh, the left page, but crosses the fold and takes half the page on the right. It's a majestic display of deep blue sky and rugged and gray snow-capped mountains, and then there's a calm mountain lake in the, in the foreground. And when you turn the page to the next photo, you discover that you may have missed something very important. Because the right page of the Grand Teton photo is an extra long page that's been folded over, covering part of the Grand Tetons. So when you open it up, it not only reveals what was covered, but adds another eight inches to the, <clears throat> to the Grand Teton photo. So in other words, when you open this fold, you add some 16 inches to the width of the photo, and the Grand Tetons become even grander. And that's kind of how it was in the Old Testament. That page was folded. There were, there were um, uh, uh, allusions to it. Peter uses some of these allusions to it in 1 Peter chapter 2 about Jesus and a, and, a, and a stone of stumbling and the idea of Gentiles being joined together. But there was not a, a clarity and a precision here with how that would happen. And Paul says, my task is to proclaim who Christ is and to tell people about this glorious thing called the church in high definition. This is kind of really how all of our life is, too, by the way, as we grow in Christ, spiritual growth. Um, there's lots of unfolding moments. Have you ever had those in the scriptures where all of a sudden something became very clear? It may have been vague or not even on your radar screen before, but then you see it very clearly in high definition. Uh, Abraham experienced that at age 75. Moses at age 80. The Apostle Paul, of course, on the road to Damascus and then in the desert in Arabia. And then again and again in the Bible, when God met people, He opened up a glorious page for them that had been previously been unfolded. And the most, most obviously that happens at the Gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We realize God has a purpose and plan for us. His plan here is through the church of Jesus Christ. Because God's purpose in all this, you look at verses 8 through 11 of chapter 3, was to use the church of Jesus Christ to display His wisdom. Hear this. This is why He has a church. To display His multicolored wisdom. That word manifold, that's what it means. Multicolored. Mosaic of wisdom here. Display His wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. To put them to shame. Colossians 2 says, and those angels that are still with the Lord and on His side to show His glorious plan, things they desire to look into it, but even angels with their intellect can't comprehend this. This is His eternal plan. He carried this out through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul says, my suffering for this cause should not influence you to quit. When you look at me and you see me in chains as I am writing this, from prison, a Roman prison, a dungeon, a holding tank. He says, don't be discouraged. Don't quit. But when you see my suffering for this cause, 
It should influence you to the opposite and understand that this is worth suffering for. This is worth suffering for. Because it is so big, so galactic. The whole universe is seeing God's wisdom through His church, the bride, the family of God. Now look at us. Look at us sitting here. All different ages. Little guys from newborns all the way up to the oldest. We have different backgrounds, different levels of education, different abilities, different handyman capabilities. You name it. We're all so different. And there's one thing that bonds us here. It's the bond of the Spirit to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Mankind can't come up with this. This is God's plan, and that shows the wisdom of the cross and says that the world's foolishness of how they gauge affinities, etc. here is ridiculous. And God has bonded us through the cross for an eternal purpose and an eternal church. And the vastness of this created universe that, has, that spreads beyond billions of light years apart. This tiny speck of dust with warmth and water and vegetation and animals. He made image bearers. And He provided the way for them that for all who have turned away from Him and His purposes in rebellion, and the Bible says that's all of us, He has made the way back to life with God through the cross. And when they believe upon Him, He forgives their sin. He raises them to sit in authority in the heavenlies with Him. He brings them into His family, His church, and He commissions them to go out and make more disciples. On this little speck, circling around a medium-sized star in a corner of the Milky Way galaxy, upon which there are innumerable galaxies, He's poured this out and allowed us to be a part of. If that doesn't give purpose to your life, then that's it. That's our last shot. There's nothing else, nothing better. And that is enough. The church is the heart of God's plan. That ought to give our life purpose to go and make disciples. You get to be part of something that the prophets tried to study out and look into, Peter says. You get a mission that we are to link arm in arm and go forward boldly in because we as sinners have been looked upon in Christ as saints and have a privileged access to God through His Son. The God of all creation lives in us together. And we're built up together as His holy dwelling place as the Spirit fills us and rests upon us. When you were saved, you became a part of this and it is not accidental and it is not incidental. God is making a new, beautiful, redeemed humanity and fellowship in Him who He Himself will dwell in as God with us in order to empower us to bring more into His family to grow up into Christ. The Church of Jesus Christ is no afterthought. It's no plan B. God planned it, He provided for it, He's preparing it, and He'll one day plunge it into His face-to-face -face presence for all eternity with the rewards of His shed blood. We're going to love what Jesus loves. We're going to love His churches. And we're going to put at the center of our lives what God has put at the center. We're going to put His church at the center. Too much of the world's thinking of pursuing our individual goals and luxuries has dominated our way of life. 
too little of God's eternal purpose and mission to wrap our lives around His plan of enlarging His family by making disciples through soldiers who endure suffering for the cause of Christ. Serve. Discover the gifts God has given to you specifically to contribute to the wisdom of His church working together so that the church displays the multicolored wisdom of God to the universe and put that at the center of your life's drive. And when you see people serving with their gifts, don't squelch them because they serve differently than you. Let them flourish. Let them contribute. Because of our calling, we have an authoritative purpose to bear the banner of the cross of Christ with our brothers and sisters and the lost world and make Christ's commission our commission in harmony with His authoritative Word and in harmony with one another for the glory of Christ. Make no mistake about it from this book of Ephesians, the church is the centerpiece of God's eternal plan. So therefore, we must order our lives according to that truth. And when I say that, some of you here go to services. And that's part of it. In fact, the very word church means what? Assembly. Getting together. But it's more than that. Because why does Hebrews tell us to assemble? Hebrews 10 tells us to not forsake the assembling, which everybody quotes, but never finishes the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse says to do what? To stir up to love and to good works. And so if we're having services, but we're not accomplishing the goal of what those services are doing, then we're no better than the Israelites who were doing things for ritual, but missed the heart and purpose of it. And so, we need to make sure that we are connecting with other people, and not just showing up, going to service, singing, hearing a message, and going on our way. That we're engaging with other people. Because this is our eternal family. And we're to stir one another up to love. You might say, well, what does that mean? That sounds so vague. That sounds so abstract. And I want to tell you the answer to that is very simple if you do a little Bible study. I want you, the Bible study is very, very simple. Look up the word one another in your concordance. And it will tell you what that love looks like. Part of that love is forgiving one another. Part of that love is serving one another. Part of that love is, 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 is multifaceted here with all the things that he tells us to do to one another. And then the other part is stir one another to love and to good works. Why does Titus tell us God has saved us over and over in his book? Why has he saved us? So that we're in fellowship with him. That that fellowship, of course, extends to all eternity. That's called eternal life, right? Why else? Over and over and over again in the book of Titus, and you can even look in the previous verses in Ephesians 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, right? Lest any man should boast. But then what does he say after that? For we are his masterpieces. We are his craftsmanship. For what? Created to good works. Our good works don't save us. But it's the reason he saves us, right? So that we show forth the goodness of our God. Show forth the beauty of who he is. 
how else are we going to display the manifold wit, uh, uh, wisdom of God if we don't love one another and stir one another up to love and good works, to serve our communities, to serve one another, uh, to serve the lost, to see the lost come to Christ. So the church is a centerpiece of God's eternal plan, so live according to that church. The church is not a cruise ship. It's not Carnival Cruise Lines. It's not Norwegian Cruise Lines. It's a battleship. It's a battleship for the mission of God. And there's great theology, the glory of who God is, that we've seen in this passage. But if that theology is then not tied to mission, it's a dead theology. Theology and mission go hand in hand. And God has given us a great task, a great mission. I heard this week of um, a, 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 a lady inviting other people uh, to, to go to, 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 the, uh, to, to, to a place she likes to go to, to be able to minister to other people. Kids playing together, etc. Using those opportunities as opportunities to minister to one another. Um, I've heard of people using their hobbies I know people who fly uh, model airplanes, and they use that as an opportunity uh, here, not just for their own enjoyment, although they enjoy that and have a great time, but they get to know other people, and they get to witness to the Lord. Uh, other people who, who uh, do uh, the handyman projects for people, and that allows them to have an opportunity to speak to the goodness of the Lord. I know moms who go to parks, when you could go to parks, remember those days? And they go to parks there for the purpose of getting to know other moms and their kids. And they began letting out more and more string of who they are in Jesus. And with Jesus, they hear the, hear the problems and, and struggles of those moms and they speak Jesus into their lives. That's the church in action. I know one man who uses fishing. Whatever it is. Use what God has given you for the purpose of enlarging His family. Provoke one another to love and to good works. You know how you provoke one another to love and good works? You tell people what God's doing. You testify. You testify. You know how you testify? You have eyes that begin to see that God's always working. And things that may seem ordinary before that you might cast off to the side, eyes that have the eyes of Jesus see Jesus behind a lot more stuff than you used to. And you press into that, and you pursue that, and you pray through that, and you work in that. That displays the multifaceted wisdom of Christ to the watching universe. And so understand that the church is those two things. It gives you an eternal sense of belonging. And it gives you an eternal purpose. There's nothing like it. And there never will be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have been so kind to us to wrap us in your arms and put us into your family. Lord Jesus, for these 2,000 years, you have been building your church. Oh sure, some congregations have faded and gone away. You put out some lamps in the book of Revelation. But Lord, your church as a whole has marched on. And may we be faithful. And hear you say on the day that we stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ, 
as individuals certainly, but as a church together. We, we, may we as a church together be able to say, by Your grace, Lord, we completed Your task. Help us to be faithful in that. Lord, we need each other. We need uh, the different perspectives. We need the varieties of, uh, of um, uh, insights uh, to speak into our lives. Lord, I have tunnel vision, uh, and I need people uh, to let me know my blind spots. And I thank you for those that you've used in my life to show me those things. And Lord, uh, help, uh, help us to be a part of, uh, in that with each other as well. Help us to stir up one another to love sacrificially, to serve sacrificially, and to engage in the good work that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for your patience sitting out here.